Hi, this is Arnav. Welcome to the channel. Today I have Rahul with me. Rahul is the CEO of Prismatic Labs, and they are working on solving Ethereum's sharding problem. And they have a very good repository on GitHub, and they are working very actively to solve the sharding problem and the scalability problem. And today we are going to talk to talk to him about his project and go down into the technical aspects of the project. So, hi Rahul, how are you? Hey Arnav, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me on the show. Awesome, awesome. So, can you give a brief background and how did you actually start with Prismatic Labs? Yeah, of course. So, you know, Prismatic Labs is uh, is is a team that's working on the first implementation for sharding for the Go Ethereum project. It started because you know we were our team was basically a bunch of independent researchers and developers that were interested in Ethereum and protocol development for a while, and we knew that layer one scaling, specifically sharding, is something that's been talked about a lot in the community, but not enough teams have been doing an effort to work on it. So around the start of this, around the start of this year in January, actually, um, you know, I put a team a team call out on on Gitter, uh, Reddit, a bunch of different groups online, and managed to assemble a team of uh, people that had similar motivations and were excited about this about this problem, right? Um, so at the time, there was very little information on even how to start with sharding, aside from an FAQ that Vitalik posted online. Uh, but you know, we decided to elaborate on that, see where we could take it, um, see understand the pitfalls and limitations of the approach. And we quickly started assembling a repo and started just coding away. Um, it's been it's been amazing. We've gotten a lot of support, uh, and we're constantly learning. You know, it's 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 an unsolved problem. So there's a lot to do. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how we started. It assembled organically, and now uh, you know we're an open open source group. Uh, we work fully transparently with the community, and we just work to get things done. Awesome, awesome. So. Uh, for the audience, can you explain like what exactly is Prismatic Labs and what are some core problems that you are trying to solve, like in sharding or in scalability in general as well? Yeah. So, what is Prismatic Labs? So, Prismatic Labs is an organization that is working on improving Ethereum's base protocol layer. So, you know, like scaling Ethereum is not not the only problem. The other problems that we have are maintaining decentralization and also allowing for smaller computational and storage requirements for the nodes running the blockchain. So what we care about is really making it so that in the future, any device uh, you know, can run the Ethereum blockchain, can validate headers, can, you know, can, can participate in contributing to the security of the entire system. And we want to do so in a way that leaves a very small digital footprint on each of these devices. So sharding the problem that we're working on accomplishes three of these things. It allows us to scale the throughput of the blockchain to like you know, 10 times or 100 times or 1,000 times more than it currently is. It allows us to maintain strong guarantees of decentralization across the network. Then it allows us to maintain like, you know, like very small storage and computational requirements for the nodes. So, you know, you'll hear a lot uh, being talked about something called the scalability trilemma, which is that you can have a system that is scalable and decentralized, uh, but not secure. Or you can have something that's secure and decentralized, but not scalable, right? Which yeah. is kind of the current blockchain paradigm. So sharding is a really interesting problem because it kind of, it kind of puts a solution right in the middle of this triangle. And it allows us to do something that wasn't able, that wasn't possible before. So other teams are working on different things like layer two scaling, which involves kind of like off-chain solutions. Like, you know, you might be familiar with the Lightning Network from Bitcoin. Um, however, you know, these things don't really solve the fundamental problem is that in the long term, this, the current approach is unsustainable of having a main chain that grows so much. Um, and, you know, and it just becomes even harder and harder to, to mine in the case of Bitcoin or it's going to become very unfeasible to store the blockchain in Ethereum. So at Prismatic, we aim to do something that's called layer one scaling, which is from the from the very base layer, how can we modify the entire blockchain and its entire structure 
to be scalable, decentralized, and secure from day one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, can you talk about that as well? Like, people are doing state channels and payment channels. Like, uh, Spank Chain is a good example. Um, and so, like, do we really need layer one? What's the or we can just do layer two? What What's the reason that we have to focus on layer one? Yeah. So, with layer two, for example, you can imagine something like Lightning Network, where you can have a system where like microtransactions or smaller transactions are handled off chain. Um, and you can do a lot. You can have a lot of parties exchanging things between each other, and then finally do settlement on chain. Yeah. So this moves a lot of stuff. Like if you know, the canonical example is you're paying for coffee at a coffee shop. You can you can you know do this through an off chain channel. However, at the end of the day, you know the blockchain is still going to keep growing a lot. Uh, like even if we have layer two scaling, the blockchain is going to keep growing at the same rate it is. Um, and it's just extremely unsustainable, right? It's very hard for a laptop computer to download the entire Bitcoin or Ethereum history of its entire state and UTXOs and such. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in Ethereum's case, the state tree, right? That's a very, it's a very, it's a very major part of the system that costs a lot of storage. So, you know, like improving upon these kind of layer two solutions is kind of like a short term approach. But at the end of the day, we should have made these blockchains scalable since the beginning, and we should make them like you know good enough for mass usage, without without compromising you know security. Um, so yeah, that's why it's important to work on layer one scaling. It's just it's just like making it good and making it scalable since day one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So can you talk about the phases of the sharding approach and the architecture that all these phases yeah. have for sharding? Yeah, for sure. I think before we dive into phases, it could be useful to talk about what sharding is in particular and like how it actually works. Mm-hmm. So the idea behind sharding is that currently, you know, we have one Ethereum blockchain where we have nodes participating and validating transactions, and basically validating blocks across this entire chain. The idea with sharding is that we would take up, uh, you know, take up this chain and partition its state into like K different shards where each shard has its own piece of state. And that means that only a certain subset of nodes would be responsible for shard one, another subset of nodes would be responsible for shard two, and these these sets are disjoint. That means that like, um, you know, we have some people working on shard one and shard two independently. So what this allows you to do is allows you to process more transactions in parallel and increase the throughput. So you're able to, if you have 100 transactions in a row right now in Ethereum, each of them would have to be processed into blocks uh, on the main chain. Whereas in this case, we could we could have transactions ones and two, one and two be on shard one, two and three on shard two, you know. We can do this sort of partitioning that allows us to increase the parallelizability of the blockchain. So, you know, what are the concerns here? Because to a lot of listeners that may not be as familiar, you might think that in distributed systems, uh, this has already pretty much been solved. Um, There are a lot of sharding approaches in database design, um, in like networks. And the problem here is that a lot of these approaches, they rely on some sort of centralized coordinator. Um, in the sense that you have some coordinator node that is able to reconcile everything that's happening across these shards, right? And we cannot have this in the blockchain world, as you can imagine, as we care about decentralization and maintaining things and maintaining things without a central point of failure. Mm-hmm. So that just complicates the design space a lot more, and that's why we have a very different philosophy to this sharding approach, right? Sharding is definitely not a new word in computer science. Mm-hmm. So you know, uh, to to respond to your question about the actual phases, so how it's going to work. Mm-hmm. So the idea here is that we would still have a main Ethereum blockchain. So imagine you would have a blockchain as we have now, uh, and we would have, for example, a hundred different shards. Right? This can be a different. This can be a different type. The, the number can be bigger or smaller, but let's just say it's a hundred. And what you would have is you would have um, you would have something called collations on each of these shards, which are kind of like the equivalent of blocks in the system. So you would have people processing collations on shard one, two, three, four, five, so on and so forth. 
And then what would happen is what's going to go on the main chain is going to be a summary of kind of what happened on each shard. So inside of the block on the main chain, you're going to have like, oh, on shard one, these people signed these transactions, this happened, and uh, you know, these collation headers were added to the shard chain. And that piece of information, that message, is kind of what's going to be saved in a block on the main chain. So that's a very high-level generalization. But it's basically the idea of like, of like storing kind of metadata of what happened across the entire system of shards into one single block on the main chain. So you know, a single block can have a lot of information about what happened on hundreds of shards. And the way we do this is actually we store a, a, a smart contract on the Ethereum main chain. So we call this contract the sharding manager contract. And this, this contract is responsible for kind of like, you know, receiving these, uh, these, these pieces of metadata. Uh, and kind of like, you know, since, since it'll be stored in the contract, um, it'll, be, it'll be going on the Ethereum main chain, right? Because it'll be mined into a block on the main chain. Mm-hmm. So the idea here is that we would have these people that would be voting on information that they get from these uh, shards. So we would have a group of people that are staking their Ether. So kind of like you would imagine in Casper Proof of Stake, you have people that put some Ether up front that they lock it up in the contract. And then the responsibility is that, you know, when they receive, uh, when it's, you know, they get selected to vote on certain things that happen across shards. So, you know, for example, Arnav is, uh, is, a, is a validator in this case. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get selected on shard one. So what you have to do is you have to download the, all the different things that were happening on shard one. You have to va- validate, check, validate them, check if the data was available, check if it makes sense. And then you would vote based on your stake. And you would be like, oh, okay, I vote that this is the correct ordering of things that happen on shard one. Right? And if a certain threshold of people also vote, so if you have thir- two thirds of people voting on this, then you know, we can consider that finalized. And basically that's the canonical history that occurred on, that, on a certain shard, right? So yeah. all this kind of finalized information is going to be stored on the main chain. So what's interesting here is that, you know, like you guys might be thinking that, oh, wow, like once you're selected as a validator, uh, you have a lot of responsibility. You have to download a lot of information. You have to vote on all this information. You probably have to run transactions. You have to do all these different things. So to make it easier for you as a validator, what we're doing is that we're separating execution and voting and basically execution and consensus. So what that means is that these validators, their only responsibility is to vote and to check for data availability. We don't want to make you do more than that. And then we would have separate entities that will be actually running the state and running transactions and running computations on the system. So, you know, this is a very high level simplification, but the idea is that we want to make it as easy as possible for the people being part of the network. And we want to separate responsibilities as much as possible. So that's kind of like the idea here. So how does this work? For, for the different phases of sharding, in the first phase, we're going to have, uh, we're going to implement the contract, which we already did at our team. Um, we're going to have like these people called notaries, which are the people that are voting on what happened across shards, getting randomly selected and having to do their job. And then we're going to have people that are going to be actually packaging transactions into these, like, these shard blocks called collations, right? and then submitting those headers to the contract for voting. So that's the very minimum. After that, in the later phases, we're going to focus more on like the actual state, execution, the EVM. How can we do cross-shard transactions? So you can imagine maybe you have a CryptoKitties contract on shard one, and then you have you, your account is on shard three, right? Uh, how can you do like, you know, cross, cross-shard communication between the contract and you? Um, so those are interesting problems to think about that are happening in the later phases. But at the moment, we're just more focused on getting this basic idea rolled out of the contract and voting and proposing collations on shards. 
Okay, so I think yeah, you brief down all the facts and all the architecture in very concise manner. Um, I just want to slow it down and so that the audience understands all that. So, like in the main Ethereum chain, what happens is we have the SMC uh, smart contract, and that would get mined to the main blockchain into the uh, head blocks, and that contains the information of the col the collators or what's the call collation collation is happen on shards yeah it's it it contains the information of collation but not the whole information only say the collator uh, collation headers or something like that so that it is able to uh, like you can trace back the whole information um yeah and ca- can you just explain this workflow in simple terms like how does it yeah go? absolutely yeah yeah so you know say we have 100 little chains and things happen on these chains and what goes and then you know a summary of what happened gets stored on this contract which is actually on the ethereum blockchain right and then so in a single block on ethereum you would have a bunch of different summaries of what happened across a bunch of different shards so in a way you're kind of like abstracting what occurred and what happened into a simple kind of message that is then stored on the blockchain so you know anyone reading this can see oh okay this happened on shard 1 and that was on the on the final blockchain So it must be true it must be canonical. So that's a simple way to think about it. It's kind of like we're we're summarizing what happened across these different shards and putting them on a main chain. So it becomes a lot easier and you can store a lot more information that way. Instead of storing everything that happened you just store a short summary of the correct thing that was voted on. Okay, okay. And um like how about the whole architecture within the shard? Like you have obviously the voting and people who are validating and adding the collations can you explain that as well yeah so the people that are voting they're actually they're actually in this smart contract in the in the contract on the main chain so they deposit ether mm-hmm. and like people do in proof of stake in casper so hey i want to become a voter a notary so i'm going to put 100 ether into this contract and now i have the responsibility to kind of like vote on what happened on creating on voting on these summaries right So I'm going to be receiving a uh, kind of these uh this information from from people that are creating blocks on these on these shards. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to have to like basically vote with the other people that also stake their ether to reach consensus on what was the correct ordering of transactions. So, you know, that's that's essentially the role of these people. They you all you have to do is stake ether into this contract. Uh you can run our code and then you'll be selected and you can it it does the responsibility for you of voting and such. Um and then you have people that are actually packaging transactions into shard blocks kind of like you know currently miners do so in ethereum where they you know they 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 they, they order transactions create a block uh you know do a proof of work algorithm to determine the nonce in this case you would have people that are just packaging transactions into collations and they're going to be sending their headers over to the contract mm-hmm. and like this ap- approach for like pos for the people that are validating and put they are that are putting the eth um is that worked out like the technical aspects or is it yeah. also yeah so right you know we're exploring a lot of different a lot of different interesting aspects here in terms of voting and committees so there are a lot of interesting problems that arise when you have this sort of voting process uh like how can you how can you prevent these validators from something called griefing each other which means like trying to make others lose in order to like gain something for their own benefit um how can you prevent something called the validators dilemma so for those unfamiliar a validators dilemma is a problem in kind of in consensus where 
where you know where a validator relies on the work done by other validators and is lazy in order to like get a better reward. So, for example, um, my job as a validator is to check collation headers, right? And if I see that like five other people they voted on something, I can just be lazy and kind of just do what they did, right? Assuming yeah. you know, I can just not waste my computer's resources, just assume that it's done and it's good, right? How can we attach more skin in the game to these notaries to do a good job, right? So that's something that that's something that's being explored. Uh, and an interesting situation here is that um, the reason why we have this committee is also because when you have um, when you have smaller shard chains, it becomes easier to do an attack on a single shard. So imagine that we split Ethereum right now into a hundred different chains. Then you just need one percent of the hash power of the entire network to control an entire chain, right? So it becomes really easy to become to maliciously control a shard. Mm -hmm. So what we do is that we we reshuffle these these voters, these notaries across shards, every every set of blocks. So we're like, okay, Arnav, you're uh, you're going to be validating on shard one in five minutes or whatever mm -hmm. of block, and mm -hmm. then you finish. And next time you're going to be on shard seventeen. And the idea is that you, you should not know which one you're going to be assigned to in advance because then otherwise you could just collude and you can kind of do some interesting, interesting uh, coordinated attacks to try to control a shard, right? So we want to be able to reshuffle these validators, these people called notaries across shards very quickly. Mm -hmm. So there's a, lot of, there's a lot of work being done on doing that and figuring out the source of randomness to achieve that purpose so that they can't figure out, they can't figure it out in advance. So there's uh, you know there's work being done on currently on something called uh, like like Randall chains um, and like and kind of like a dynamic committee sizes different things like that of that sort. Mm -hmm. So that's a little bit more that's a little bit more uh, in depth into our implementation and that's something that's being worked on right now. So if readers are interested, then you know they can definitely follow our latest updates on Medium. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, and like so like the mining process, people there is like we get softwares for uh, mining it's like everything is available and you just need to buy the hardware and use the mm -hmm. software so how can actually one become like the validator and all that like yeah what, so how do they do that yeah yeah so the validator model is more similar to a proof of stake model in fact it is kind of analogous to a proof of stake model where mm -hmm. um all you have to do is kind of run this node on your computer where you need to have some amount of ether available you deposit it into the contract and then your computer does, does the work of kind of downloading stuff, verifying. You don't, do, you don't need any like GPUs or ASIC chips anymore, right? That's mm -hmm. the whole idea. Mm -hmm. And then the people that are actually producing the transactions, all they need to do is to run a server that listens for incoming transactions, package them into blocks called collations and send them over to the contract. Mm -hmm. So there's not really any, comp any real hard, NP hard computational work you need to do here. So you don't need any specialized machi machines. That should be the point. Like the idea is that in the future, the system should be able to work even on like a flip phone. Yep. 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 Okay. Okay. And like, what's the minimum requirement for becoming a validator? I think it's 32 ETH or what? No. So that, those are the cash requirements. Uh, in this okay. case, we're making it a lot higher. Uh, I believe where it's, it's right now it's a thousand ETH. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> nice. And how, how did you come up with this number? Like how, what's mm -hmm. the process of, and like say for this, how much ETH and like even say how many nodes are should be there in one shard and how many shards should one have? What's the process? How do people actually decide that? Yeah, of course. Well, you can think about this from a standpoint of distributed systems. So there's, you know, there, there are two fundamental trade-offs in distributed systems um, that you see when creating sharded, kind of when, when, you, when you shard a state, right? 
So you have something called you have something called a edge cut, which is basically how many like how many dependencies there are across shards. And then you have something called balance. So how much of the state is spread across shards. So an example of this is that say that we have a hundred accounts. Or say we have like we have a state tree of like ten gigabytes, right? We don't want like three gigabytes to be on shard one and, and three gigabytes to be on like shard two and then like very very small ones to be on the remaining shards, right? Uh, this creates a very imbalanced system. And what that um, and another problem that occurs in a sharded system is you need to also work with something called edge cut. So you want to prevent a lot of dependencies across shards. So I don't want to have a million dependencies across shard three, four, five, six, seven. I don't want to have a lot of things depending on a bunch of different things because that leads to more latency issues, networking issues. It makes it hard to do synchronous things. So we want to we want to be able to find the right balance of the state across the shards and also find the right edge cut. So you know to do that. Um, there are a bunch of different partitioning methods that exist in distributed systems, right? Um, and that's one way to think about how to create, how to design, how many nodes there should be spread across the sharded system, you know. That's one way to think about how to improve upon this. You need to find balance of state and also a balance of uh, dependencies across shards. In terms of like how much Ether is ne needed to deposit something, um, that's a number that you have to determine from an expected number of validators. And also from like, uh, you have to determine like something called the griefing factor, which like I mentioned before is the, uh, like how much validators want to game the system and screw up others for their own benefit. You have to think about basically how much is a minimum deterrent uh, for this to happen. Um, and you know, it's just obviously a greater magnitude would have a greater deterrent, but you have to find a good balance of, you know, of preventing this. Another mm -hmm. interesting piece of research that's going on right now is actually we're, we're leaning towards like maybe not even having fixed deposit sizes. So right now, instead of having a minimum 1,000, um, we can have a dynamic one that's based on kind of like the, the whole incentive mechanism of rewards and punishments happening. Mm -hmm. So it can be dynamically adjusted depending on how much people are being slashed for bad behavior or how much people are being rewarded, right? So that's a nice guarantee. The minimum basically exists just to assure that if, if somebody behaves badly, they're going to at least lose some amount of ether, right? A substantial amount. So we want to ensure that everyone is following that same threshold. Um, that's the reason why a minimum exists. Yeah, and like if you are invested into the system, um, if you are heavily invested, you probably won't want bad things uh, to happen for the system. Or at least, at least you wouldn't want your punishment um, to be anything to be more than somebody you know to be to be different than other people's. You kind yeah. of want everyone to be on the same page. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So let's talk about the specific uh, architecture that you have taken for sharding. Can you explain that as well? Um, the specific architecture that we're taking towards sharding? Yeah, like what, what Prismatic Labs is taking. Sure, sure, sure. So, you know, we're basically taking, we're, we forked the Geth repo, the Go Ethereum yeah. repo, uh, which is one of the most popular clients aside from Parity for Ethereum. Mm -hmm. And we're basically extending it to include sharding functionality. So we're including the whole, uh, you know, the sharding manager contract mm -hmm. bindings. We're including uh, like the notary, which are the people that are voting on stuff. Mm -hmm. So it'll be a simple command that like you can just download geth. You can do like geth sharding and then notary. And it'll spin up an instance that does peer-to-peer -peer networking. It connects to the contract. It checks for block headers. And then we also have a proposer node, which is a little piece of architecture that is working on packaging transactions and submitting them to the contract. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the idea is that people can be either a notary or a proposer. So they can do one of these two things, right? If somebody doesn't have enough, a lot of money to be able to be a notary, but they want to they be a proposer, that means they want to they earn a reward for doing stuff. 
they can package transactions into blocks, and then in the future they're going to be receiving the transaction fees uh, from the transactions they included. Um, so yeah, so I mean that's kind of like the, that's kind of like the system. Um, the way we're doing it is we're following a very similar model to like the way Geth handles its nodes, like how it handles a full node or a light node, but we're calling it a sharding node. So it has a different peer-to-peer -peer system. It has a different kind of like a backend, a different state tree. So we're kind of just plugging in uh, our own implementation of these new things into the architecture that Geth had. Because our goal is in the future, we want to be able to merge it with the upstream repository. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. Um, and like what, um, so you are one team that are working and you have this specific approach. Um, and I think you have like taken this as your mission to solve the sharding problem. I don't think there are many a lot of people who have actually taken this mission. Oh, um, so I do want to, you know, before I, I do want to give some acknowledgement to some of the other teams uh, that okay. are working on this as well. Yeah. So like, you know, there's, it's not only us, right? So it's, it's a, it's a big collaborative effort. Yep. So we're just, we're a team of implementers. Um, so we have the Ethereum research team that's working on a Python implementation, but the Ethereum research team also works on like the greater research that's happening around. Shadow. So they come up with the ideas around, you know, how, you know, this random selection for notaries, uh, and we basically come in with feedback and we implement it. Mm -hmm. So we work on the actual translation into code. Uh, and we do want to make it work for Geth, right? That's our mission. Mm -hmm. there, there's another team called Drops of Diamond that's working on a Rust implementation for the parity client. Yeah, James Ray? Yeah, James Ray. He's very active on Ether Research. And we have a bunch of other teams working on, you know. So we're not the only ones for sure, but we're the only ones that we know of working on, uh, on it for Geth. Uh -huh. So can you talk about like what approaches are people taking? Like what's the difference um, between, is it just that, uh, yeah, like you're doing a get implementation, they are doing a Python implementation? Yeah, it's very open. Um, I think it's important that everyone agrees upon the greater protocol. Um, we can't have one person having a completely different approach. I mean, they could, but I mean, they're going to be on their own basically mm -hmm. because everyone that's working on these implementations, we all agree to certain things. Um, and we all kind of talk on Ether Research. So we agreed that like we're going to do a sharding manager contract. We agreed that we're going to do notaries and proposers. We all agree on this. Now it's just a matter of how we're going to implement it in our own respective clients, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's up to each team to determine how they're going to do it. But the, greater, but the, actual, the actual protocol is kind of agreed upon by everyone, including the research team. Like the design of what, how the whole workflow would work out, that is, all, that is fixed. Um, but you are tweaking things here and there. Yeah, I wouldn't say fixed, but it's like agreed upon, right? Like yeah. if something changes, yeah. then everyone everyone looks at it, everyone knows, everyone figures that out. And it's interesting. It's really great because we learn a lot of, we collaborate a lot with the other teams. Like, uh, you know, we have a team that's working on the peer-to-peer -peer implementation. So we look at what they're doing. We take elements from that. We, for example, did a serialization algorithm for the shard data. So another team kind of piggybacked off that. So... Mm -hmm. That's been really nice. Like we don't see each other as competition because we're all working on different clients, obviously. Okay. Okay. Um, and I wanted to talk to you about like uh, other blockchain and the scalability approaches as well. So I was following the Zilliqa project uh, quite closely. Um, sure. I, I have made content as well of how it works technically and how like they have this DS committee and, uh, and they have a shard uh, like a, a shard and a DS committee, which controls all the shards. Um, so what, what do you want, what do you think that these projects are doing and do you think that they can collaborate as well, that the space as a whole can collaborate and learn from each other's approaches? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think before before that, it's important to clarify the difference between Zilliqa sharding and R sharding. So, uh, there, you know, there's there there are a few different types of sharding. There's state sharding, mm-hmm. and there's transaction sharding, there's network sharding, there's computational sharding, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, by network sharding, it means that you actually partition the entire peer-to-peer network uh, to be able to handle better throughput or better latency con- uh, guarantees. Mm-hmm. Uh, computational means that you parallelize the computation happening throughout the system. Transactions means that you, you kind of shard how transactions are processed in the network, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and state means that you actually shard the entire state tree such that a certain new group of nodes is responsible for one part of the state tree, another is responsible for the second, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. At Ethereum, we're working specifically on state sharding and later down the line on computational sharding. Zilliqa focuses exclusively on computational uh, network and transactional sharding. Yeah. So their approach is kind of a fundamentally different design space. Right? So mm-hmm. it, it's, it's really important to have both of them because um, you know, that just increases, it, it'll just increase the whole system in every single aspect. Uh, but at the moment, we're just focused on state sharding. Like this whole idea of like having shard one be in charge of this part of the state, shard two, et cetera, that's called state sharding. Uh, yeah. Zilliqa focuses more on the peer-to-peer nodes and like the computational, computation aspect. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, you have some other projects as well, like except from yeah, for sure. Ethereum. I think we really, we, I think I really, I really admire uh, kind of like Definity's approach to randomness generation. Um, we're actually using a lot of their concepts in our implementation. So Definity has like this, you know, for those unfamiliar, it's this other kind of uh, blockchain uh, generalized computation protocol that has a has an interesting way of doing on-chain randomness. So they do so through something called a, a beacon chain, which contains something called BLS signatures. And what this is, it essentially uses the power of the crowd, the power of the nodes in the system, um, and kind of like this commit reveals uh, system to generate randomness in, this, in, in the protocol. So this allows you, you know, but having a, a really trustworthy decentralized form of randomness in the protocol, you can do very interesting things such as selecting committees. Um, you know, you can, you can allow for better security guarantees, finality guarantees, so we're actually using uh, Definity's r- random chain idea in sharding to be able to like do the randomness of the people voting on collations. So I really like what their team is doing. I think they're they're absolutely you know they're 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 on the right track in terms of their their technical implementation. So yeah, we take aspects of them. You know, we we talk to them. We talk to different teams on this space, and I think uh, we learn a lot. So I don't I don't think it's like everyone every every team for itself. Mm-hmm. It's very open and there should be more communication. I feel like there, there's a very, it's a disjoint set between the teams like us that are purely kind of research and implementation focus. And then those teams that have like obviously a business agenda, yeah. like these companies, obviously their businesses, you know, they're trying to grow, they have enterprise use cases and such, but they have a different agenda in that case. So I guess that's why there's kind of like this, um, this, there's, this there's this discrepancy between the two. So there should be more communication across commercial and research teams. Mm-hmm. And um, I think you have brought an interesting topic. I wanted to ask you about like, how do teams like you, um, how are you funded? Like, uh, because you don't yeah. have a business agenda. So like you, you are funded from grants, like from Ethereum foundation and other mm-hmm. interesting projects or yeah. How does that work out? Yeah. We're really grateful that, 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 that aspect has really shaped, shaped up 20 in 2018. So the reason why we really decided to go full force with this in the beginning of the year was because, you know, Vitalik put out a post about giving out grants to teams working on sharding. And that was really great because, like, you don't have to worry about staying afloat. You don't have to worry about, like, coming up with some side product on the side to implement your protocol. 
So that got us excited because we're like, well, okay, we can at least have some have some way of supporting ourselves when we do this. Um, so we were supported by the Ethereum Foundation, by the Ethereum Community Fund, uh, by the Aragon Project, uh, District Zero X, Spank Chain, um, and a few others. You know, we've been receiving a lot of donations, so we're really grateful for that. I think uh, we have enough funds to be able to really, you know, stay afloat and get this done. So that's, you know, I think that's the best situation to be in, right? Like when you're when you're when you're given a grant to work on something that you love and to just, you know, have to worry about doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there are a lot of opportunities for grants available and a lot of teams are willing to offer funds to people working on interesting things, not just sharding. I know Ethereum is interested in working, you know, funding a lot of projects ranging from like better wallets, uh, better block explorers, you know, all sorts of different things. So like if you have a project and you want to work on it, but you're afraid you won't, you won't be able to like either leave your job or maybe like you won't have disposable income to work on it. Uh, there's there are a lot of opportunities, and I'm happy to chat. Like, if any of your listeners want to get in touch with me and talk about the process, I'm more than happy to do so. Mm-hmm. Okay, and like, do you think that um, even if you are receiving the grants, uh, is it a long term solution, or is it like you you mm-hmm. can go through one year and maybe then you can do something like uh, uh, doing consulting work for enterprise or something like that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the expectation here is that. The grants are given so that we don't have to do that. They're given so that we can just we can just work on this, and we don't have to worry about kind of building a side business. Mm-hmm. I think that in the future, though, once we do deploy this on the mainnet and have like this this developed, I think we have a strong team that is capable of tackling other initiatives, either coming up with a product of our own in the future, or maybe like you know, uh, being being like an being like a team of uh, of advisors in the industry. Uh, for scalability and such. So, yeah, I think there is a lot of potential. Um, but at the moment, what's great is that the grants were given so that we only focus on this. Okay, awesome, awesome. Um, I, I think I would also like you to talk about the whole scalability space in general. Like mm-hmm. uh, we have sharding, obviously, that you are doing. Then we have state channels. We have um, other like Plasma and all these implementations. So can you give a brief of like, uh, how, what do you feel personally? Like how would these actually fit together? Like we'd have plasma, we'll have sharding, we'll have all these things, or we'll have like only say sharding solving everything. No, I think, uh, you know, we, we need all of these, right? Like if you have, if you have both sharding and state channels at the same time, that's fantastic. Um, so I think the idea is that Plasma, for you know, for those unfamiliar, is also a layer two scaling solution that is um, that is very that is very strong and very powerful to be able to run your own scalable kind of application. So Plasma is more of a, like a short term thing that will come out hopefully soon, um, and people will be able to actually use directly in their smart contract dApps and such. And then state channels are going to be useful for microtransactions, for games on the blockchain, for all sorts of different domain specific applications. And then sharding is just going to be a major boon to everything. So it's going to be at the, at the base layer, just an improvement to everything. So that's the idea. You have a, for state channels, you have a team that's really capable of working on it called L4. Yeah. So L4 Ventures is an amazing team. They're, they're putting out a paper on uh, generalized state channels. Um, and then you have teams working on Plasma, which you know the Ethereum Foundation, Omisigo is doing as well. Uh, Carl Flourish is doing that. So you have a lot of great developments happening there. Um, so we need all of these things, you know, I think, uh, at the end of the day, Ethereum has a lot going for it and I think everyone's doing it for the, for the right reasons. We all really want to see this blossom and really grow into something useful. Mm-hmm. So yeah, 
I'm, I'm very excited about the future of this, you know, because even without, you know, before sharding, we'll have these things out soon. We'll have Casper out soon. Um, we'll see a lot happening in the next few years. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, what time frames do you see that Casper uh, mm-hmm. has been in the, I think, two years or something like that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it is coming, it is, I think, within a year at max, it should come out. And what, what, what's the time frame for sharding and other approaches as well? Sure. Uh, yeah. So Casper, it can go out almost at any time soon, right? They're just reviewing a lot of the final security audits, making sure everything is good, but the protocol and the algorithm is all there. Mm-hmm. Um, for Plasma, I would envision probably, you know, hopefully before the end of the year, like we already have a, a single Plasma chain implementation right now. The teams are working on having multiple Plasma chains. Yeah. Um, something called Plasma Cache. Uh-huh. So, yeah. so hopefully before the end of the year, we'll have that. And, you know, timetables are hard, right? But that's, that's I think, the general sentiment. And then sharding is a longer term approach. I mean, our roadmap, our tentative roadmap is that we're going to have a proof of concept like of a basic minimal protocol that I outlined to you over the call uh-huh. uh, by the end of the summer. Okay. Um, and then we'll coordinate with the other teams to get on a public test net. Uh, and that'll probably happen in 2019. So that's going to be when all the other teams they come together and re-release a public test net for sharding. And then obviously the mainnet release will probably take around two years or so. Um, Keep in mind, you know, there are so many aspects that come into sharding, right? There's not only this protocol, but there's the state execution, there's the modified EVM, there is, uh, we have to include Wasm, which is a new kind of like, you know, kind of, uh, kind of uh, engine to be able to run, uh, you know, contracts in different languages on Ethereum. Um, we have a lot of things to do before we release on mainnet, but I think uh, we want to just be pragmatic and constantly update the community so that you know, we, people know that this is being worked on. Right? Mm-hmm. And like my team, we release every two weeks, we release a bi-weekly update on our research and our work and our currently merged code. So we even just released one today on Medium. So if you just look up Prismatic Labs, uh, bi-weekly update uh, number five, you'll see it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think we have covered quite a lot. Um, do you want, how do people actually get involved? Like uh, sure. what's the best approach that you see that should they really just start going to the GitHub and start contributing? Yeah, so there, there, unfortunately, there's a lot of context required, and I think that might put off a lot of people, but I think that there are a lot of very easy ways for them to kind of get up to speed and to kind of uh, learn and want to get more involved. So, yeah, so in our repo, we have a lot of, we have a very long sharding readme that details how sharding works and what it's about. Uh, we also have contribution guidelines, and we also have a bunch of open issues and pull requests that are, that are open to people to work on. So we're going to be working more closely with something like Gitcoin to release bounties. So people that want to, you know, earn a little bit extra cash and they want to work on this, they can do so. Uh, but for people that want to get really involved and they want to learn more about the core contributions, then they can definitely get in touch with us over Gitter. Uh, we're putting together actually a long contribution doc that details um, all the information that you need to get up to speed with Ethereum and how to learn more about sharding and how to do it. So yeah, we're going to be put together, we're going to be put together a comprehensive reference doc. Mm-hmm. Like some resources, some uh, tutorials yeah. and something like that? Yeah, it's going to be like a, yeah, like a markdown doc on GitHub that has all the things you need to read before sharding and then all the things you need to read for sharding awesome. and, then, um, and then kind of like how to begin and how to reproduce our code. And then from there, you know, I think once people go through that pipeline, they should be ready to be a significant contributor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that is really needed because when I was also going to the GitHub it, it required quite a lot of prerequisite knowledge. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. So we'll be uh, doing that. We've been getting that a lot because we do have a lot of people interested in helping out mm-hmm. um, and we can point them in the right direction. But unfortunately, you know, there's just so much context required. 
Mm-hmm. So I think we can do a better job, and we will, um, of making it easier to onboard people. Awesome, awesome. Okay, yeah, I think we have covered quite a lot for your project, and I hope I wish you the best. And I think, uh, yeah, the the problem you are solving is what is a really big problem, and it I, it is the need of the hour. So yeah, thanks a lot, uh, Raul, for coming up and sharing about your project. Thank you, Arnav. Appreciate it.